and welcome to the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Excited to be back with you guys today talking eh, like the sort of Thursday midday. Uh, another fun episode for you here. We'll, of course, talk about the Washington football team. Um, we'll, we'll do that primarily with our, our guest today, former NFL general manager Randy Mueller. He is also part of the Football GM podcast on The Athletic with Mike Sandow. Um, I'd never talked to Randy before, but I wanted to have him on because uh, he had a really interesting article that he wrote separately outside of The Athletic uh, about his view on Washington releasing Morgan Moses and why he thinks that was a misstep for Washington. In an offseason where he's generally liked it, he explains why he thinks Washington opened the door for the rest of the NFC East. Um, we had an interesting conversation with that on why I think the Jaron Christian release is actually the one that's more of a misstep for Washington than Moses um, to a degree, or at least more confusing, maybe is the better way to phrase it. And we had a chance to talk more broadly about Washington, kind of how the offseason went. And we got into sort of some general manager philosophy when it comes to the Aaron Rodgers situation and the Julio Jones situation. I know that people are interested in whether Washington Washington should pursue them. We go into details, not so much that they will or they won't, but why they should or they shouldn't. I, this may have been the most fun conversation I've had because I, as I've said before, I view the sports world from the GM hat and I really like having these conversations and, and to have one with somebody who's been in that seat, who's had to make these calls, uh, is really a lot of a lot of fun. So, um, well, that we'll get to all that in just a second. I'm also going to share some other quick thoughts about some leftovers from Washington OTAs, as well as some news uh, that came out today that has to do with the offseason plan. And then, lastly, after I talk to Randy, I'm going to share some thoughts on the Wizards as well, who are now down 2-0 to the Nets, heading into Game Three Saturday at Cap One Arena. Lots to get to here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at All Pro Reels. All Pro Reels is a credentialed digital media company covering all major professional sports teams in the Washington, D.C. area through photography and videography with a database of over 25,000 images. Whether you're looking for in-game content or content with your favorite player, APR has you covered. Um, let's get to some, just some quick little nuggets here at the top, and then we'll get to my conversation with with Randy. Um, so first off, some news today about the schedule. The, the typical plan for the OTAs is, which obviously didn't happen last year because of the pandemic, they're back. Signs of normalcy, I guess. And that's what's going to happen now. The third, these OTA, ses OTA sessions are three days. The media gets to come out for one of those days, typically. We saw the on Tuesday, and then they went Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and then there's another week Another three-day session, then another three-day session, then the mandatory three-day minicamp that everybody has to show up for. Uh, we were told today that Ron Rivera is actually canceling the third OTA session and bumping up minicamp a full week. So instead of minicamp being June 15th to the 17th, it'll now be June 8th to the 10th. And that means a week, a week off, an extra week off for the players and for the media <laughs> in terms of having to be anywhere. Um, so everybody's kind of like that. Um but it's interesting. Essentially, Ron Rivera has liked what he's seen out of the players who have shown up. Uh, you know, 86 of, uh, well, effectively 85 players were on the field for Tuesday. 
Um, those who were missing, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Charles Leno, Steven Sims. Steven Sims, uh, somebody made this point. If I say he was had an excused absence, how is it, why do you need an excuse from a voluntary workout? Well, look, that's sort of the whole point the NFLPA is making. If these things are voluntary, <laughs> what's the issue? The issue is teams have all the power, and that's been... They've used it throughout the years. If you don't show up, especially if you're more of a fringe guy, which to some degree Sims is at this point, it would be unwise to not show. In any event, he had an, he had a reason to not be there. I don't know what it is, but he had some reason that Ron Rivera was was down with, and, and he was back today. Um, and anyway, that Rivera liked the work he got in from the players. They were efficient. Their, the, the, the practices were pretty crisp, at least what, what we saw on Tuesday. And from that, he's decided that the, based on that progression, he thinks that they can, you know, cut things off a little bit early. Again, they didn't have any OTAs last year. And obviously this season, you know, in general with the NFL, I don't think was people thought, wow, the play is dramatically worse, right? I mean, maybe it was a little bit jarring in the beginning. And obviously there were a bunch of injuries that happened. But by and large, the product was comparable to what we've seen normally. So in any event, he's moving things up a week. Um which is interesting, just, you know, that's just, uh, you know, different. And, you know, the NFLPA has been telling its players across the league, hey, maybe consider sitting out, right? These things are voluntary. You don't necessarily have to go. And a lot of teams, a lot of players, a lot of teams were indicating that was going to happen. I think a lot of them ultimately did, did show, but there were still plenty of teams that didn't have near the attendance that Washington did. And I think that's a good sign that uh, we've talked about before, about the belief that these players have in Rivera. In any event, that that is happening. Um, at the same time, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Charles Leno, all three of those guys missed all three days of these sessions. Now, Leno had uh, just had his second, he and his wife just had their second child recently when he signed his contract. So presumably that's why he's out, which, you know, is a, it seems like a reasonable um, excuse, even if, you know, it, it is his first time with the team. Uh, for Chase Young and Montez Sweat, you know, we talked about this the other day. I, I was told they would be in and out. I don't have a reason exactly as to why they're not there. Um and, uh, you know, look, Ron Rivera talked about this. Ron Rivera has emphasized the voluntary aspect of this. Um, obviously, I'm sure he would prefer them to have been there, especially a guy like Chase Young, who's clearly a leader on this team. And he's going to be maybe as much as anybody else other than perhaps like a Terry McLaurin, a guy who is going to be front and center for this team for years to come and really a, t- a tone setter. And with Chase Young, obviously, the hard work aspect, doing all the little things, that's that's part of the appeal beyond the sacks and highlight plays. He's got that grinder work ethic, but he wasn't there. And, you know, he, d- just to read you, I, I played audio the other day from Ryan Fitzpatrick, Landon Collins, and Bobby McCain. Didn't from Rivera. I'm not going to play any now, but I'll just read you the quote when Rivera was asked about those guys not being in attendance, particularly Young and Sweat. Quote, I know they have talked to their position coaches. We stress that it is voluntary. You would love to have everyone here. We have 86 guys here. It really was 85, but in any event... Um, we have 86 guys here, and it would be nice to have everyone. But guys are entitled to what they feel what they feel they need to do now. They are both good young football players, and they will be here when they are here. Now, if I just read that coldly to you, you know, you could sort of infer a lot of things. Boy, he doesn't sound too happy. I didn't take it that he was like completely disappointed. Whether he's putting on a brave face or not, I think he understands sort of the circumstance. And I think, by and large, again, without knowing exactly why Young and Sweat were out, he's got to look be pretty thrilled that the bulk of the, the not the bulk the the vast majority of the team except for three players and one of which probably has a, a reasonable absence showed up and that's why he's decided i think in part to move on from these 
um, practices, you know, to, to cancel this one round of OTA. So, um, you know, the players are buying into Rivera. We've talked before about how I, I never believed that he lost any credibility in the locker room when he allowed Dwayne Haskins to play even after the off-the-field incident that he had um, because I think he thought that he was doing what was right for the team as a whole and that Haskins was realistically going to be gone anyway so there wouldn't be some precedent set. And I don't think we're seeing that now. Now, if you tell me that Case Young and Montez Sweater, that's why they're out, well, then we'll see. But I, I'm not going to speculate why they're out. I don't know. I would be stunned if Case Young and Montez Sweat don't come whenever they show up, arrive in, in, in tip-top shape and are ready to go. These things are not that big of a deal historically unless something happens that makes it a big deal. Poor play, injury, something along those lines. But, you know, until then, not that big of a deal at all. Uh, but what is a big deal is... Uh, for me, yeah, we get a, we get a, we get to head to the summer a week earlier, so I'm happy about that. Thank you to Ron Rivera for for that, if nothing else. So kudos uh, there. Um, to to stick to the Ron Rivera stuff, one thing I didn't get to the other day, and this is a question from our, our frequent uh, guest here, Matt Paris, uh, had to do with was there a point in Ron Rivera's other years that he kind of had a sense where an offense would take a big step, obviously. Washington's offense looks has had a big overhaul this year. Ryan Fitzpatrick is here. Curtis Samuel's here. There's going to be two student, two new starting tackles, one way or the other. Uh, Deami Brown, you know, Antonio Gibson will be taking a, hopefully another leap for them, and so on and so on. Um, so here, here's what Rivera said: uh, "Quote, it is interesting because the styles are similar, but the meaning offenses." But the players are different. One of the positions we relied on so heavily was quarterback in Carolina in terms of our entire offense. Here we do not have to rely on that quarterback. We have a lot of good weapons around our QB position. This will be a little different as I study and look and watch our guys. It is good to see the personnel we have. I thought we improved. We improved at receiver, tight end, and running back. One of the goals that you talk about as an offense is protecting your quarterback and you have playmakers around them. I feel that we have a different group of guys this year, but we are in a better position than we were last season. So what, what, do, what, do you, what do you make of that, right? When he says one of the positions we relied on so heavily in Car- was quarterback in Carolina in terms of our entire offense. Here, we don't have to rely on the quarterback. You know, obviously, what, look, think about how we all discuss things in our own lives, right? When you're asked a question and you want to emphasize the positives, you do that, right? You, I mean, I can be a Debbie Downer and a half-glass empty person by nature, but in general, right, you're trying to present your best foot forward, and especially Ron, that Ron Rivera is certainly going to do that. He, he's not going to say, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't Cam Newton. I think we all know that, right? Whatever Ryan Fitzpatrick is, he's not a centerpiece quarterback. W- one reason I've discussed with you guys before that why I don't like the idea of overemphasizing receivers when it comes to asset allocation uh, is because it's a reliant, it's a dependent position on the quarterback, and really good quarterbacks will make good receivers better or great, but great receivers do not automatically do the same for the quarterback. And that's part of the conversation we'll, we'll have with Aaron, about the Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones. In any event, my point is that I think what we're on Rivera here is simply saying is, look, we, well, he's not saying this, but I'll just infer this. They tried to get that quarterback. They tried to get Matthew Stafford. We know this. They offered a first and a third round pick. They got sort of bad luck because of the Rams, uh, because I'm sorry, because the Rams could offer Jared Goff, who the, the Detroit front office was interested in, um, and Washington didn't have that type of player. But otherwise, the trade packages were effectively the same. Um, 
So they tried to get that guy, but once they didn't, and this is what I have liked about this, the decision-making here, they didn't panic and say, well, we have to desperately go get a quarterback. They waited for free agency and they signed Fitzpatrick to a one-year deal. Similar to me, how things worked a year prior, right? They tried to get Amari Cooper. We can debate whether Amari Cooper is worth $100 million, but he was the only receiver of sort of like a Pro Bowl level that year in free agency. They went for that one guy, didn't get him, and then didn't automatically say, well, we have to we have to get a receiver. They obviously waited, um, and they really didn't make any kind of significant moves Um you know, in that regard with, with, with receivers, they just kind of went to a degree with, you know, what, the, what they had. And, you know, I added a couple more, a couple vets on, on, on the fringe to, to help bolster um, the, the, the cause. And I think this is what, again, what I have appreciated about the decision-making over here is that they have targets in mind, but the target is not a des- It's not about desperation. It's about, we think there's some value here, or this player is a significant upgrade and we will go explore that. But if not, Yes, they don't have to rely on their quarterback, relatively speaking, especially compared to to last year, because look what they have, right? They have playmaking receivers in Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. They have a tight end who emerged last year in Logan Thomas. Um, You know, running back Antonio Gibson was highly productive a year ago. We'll see about the offensive line. Obviously, I can't sit here and tell you that they're going to be as good as they were last year. A lot of question marks, which is, I, I say question marks, not from the standpoint of, boy, this looks like a disaster, but more from the perspective of, we just don't know. Charles Leno wasn't here before. Sam Cosby has never played in the NFL, so on and so on. So um, we'll see how that works. But I I just sort of took that comment as, obviously, I didn't take it as, I guess, that he thinks they're good at quarterback and they don't need one. He knows they need one. That's why they went to try to get Matthew Stafford. That's why they at least certainly considered drafting Justin Fields if he'd reached a point on the board where they thought it was good. It made made sense to trade up. Although I told you guys I never thought they would trade up for a quarterback or draft one even, but and which they didn't. But I, I anyway, my point is just that I think it's an interesting quote, but it's an example of where I think Washington has been good under Rivera in terms of saying we have these needs and we have these targets, but we're not going to panic in any of these fronts. Eventually, of course, you need to get a long-term answer at quarterback. Right now, it's a year-to-year thing, and that's part of the conversation with regards that we'll get into with Randy Mueller in just a few minutes. But I thought that was all uh, interesting stuff. Last thing before I get to Randy, uh, uh, our friend Burgundy Blog tweeted out that he that he's heard that Jay-Z is um, potentially in the mix for Washington ownership. And obviously, not, not Dan Snyder's not selling. Let's be clear about that uh, as far as anybody knows. Um but could be involved in some capacity. And this, of course, leads to all kinds of excitement for all kinds of obvious reasons. I'll skip the 99 problems joke, but clearly there's been issues here. And having having a guy like Jay-Z with his star power alone, and you know, if you want to talk about it from the branding perspective, that could make some, some sense. But uh, I was on the radio uh, the other day with uh, our friend J.P. Finley and Brian Mitchell on 106.7 The Fan, and they asked me, J.P. asked me, on a scale of 1 to 10, how 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 important that I think this was or how interesting. And I kind of said a 3. I wasn't trying to be a wet blanket, but, you know, what are we talking about here? Jay-Z at one point was an, a quote-unquote owner with the Nets, but he had like 1%, 2%. He was just, it was just, hey, this is, we can get his name out there. And maybe he was helping out with some marketing things. And if that's part of the deal here in Washington, especially as they're looking for a new name, that's cool and that's fine, but let, you know, let's not let's not go too crazy over until we know. If you're telling me, even if Jay Z say own twenty five percent, I mean, maybe there's something there from a longer term perspective uh, in terms of like, is he the next and like, is he twenty five percent, but he gets first right of first refusal to buy the team from Snyder if he were to ever sell? That could be interesting. 
But beyond that, Dan Snyder is, is the owner is owner of this team. I seriously doubt that Jay-Z will be influencing him in any way, shape, or form. But life is mysterious and weird, and uh, we'll see what happens. But fun fun little uh, little nugget. I'm not going too crazy with him, but I wanted to at least mention it so people didn't think I was asleep at the wheel with that. But we'll see. Um, so um, good stuff there. Um, interesting last couple of days. With this football team, there's always something happening. But what's going to happen right now is let's get to my conversation with Randy Mueller. When I tell you guys that I thoroughly enjoyed this one, I, I li- really do have fun, so much fun on this podcast, and I really like most of these conversations. But I really liked this one. I really, I, I'd never talked to Randy before. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, maybe we see the world in the same way and that leads to my enjoyment or not. But I, I don't, and I wouldn't say we necessarily do on the Morgan Moses thing, but regardless, um, fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it as well. If you do have feedback, I would love to hear it from you. Of course, hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standick, or you can always email me bstandick at theathletic.com. Um, or you can leave comments, of course, on iTunes, you know, but you know, the good ones, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we let, we like po- positivity there. It really helps a lot. All right. No more, no more stalling, no more talking from me solo. Here's my conversation with former NFL general manager, Randy Mueller here on the standard room only podcast. All right, uh, excited to welcome in our next guest. He's a former NFL general manager, uh, executive of the year in 2000. And uh, I don't know if this is his top resume line these days, but he is part of the Football GM podcast with Mike Sando on The Athletic. He is Randy Mueller. Randy, I really appreciate your time. How are things going? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Uh, Always good to talk a little football in the offseason for those of us that are former GMs in the business. It's a, it's a fun time, needless to say for us, and always something to, to visit about, that's for sure. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's always something going on. That's especially true when we're talking about the Washington football team. It has been one thing after another, honestly, since July when we, when we started hearing about uh, the name change and some other topics, and it's been a, 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 just one thing after another, as I said, and it right. includes just recently, they made – a big move, particularly by by moving on from Morgan Moses. They also simultaneously uh, released Jaron Christian. And what led to this, me having you on this podcast, beyond just obviously you know your stuff, is you wrote specifically about this topic and kind of what your thought was. And I thought it was interesting uh, to hear from the perspective of somebody who's had to make such decisions before. Um, and so I want to talk about that and also get your thoughts on a couple other things about the football team broadly, as well as Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, I don't necessarily know how much it's a stretch to relate it to Washington, but there's a couple aspects there I do think are interesting. I want to get your take on all that, but I guess let's just start with the very top with Morgan Moses, because I said you did write about that and you seem to have some concerns about the fact that Washington did this, which there are some fans as well who've had that take, but you have an educated take. So what did you cut? What's your general concern with what Washington kind of did here? Well, in general, I struggle with getting rid of good players for one thing, and especially former starters. I always think it's it's hard to cut the cord for cap reasons if it doesn't equate to football reasons, you know. So um, really, the first thing it sent me back looking at the tape, right, when I saw this come come about and it had been rumored a couple of days beforehand, I went back and looked at the film to see what what are we seeing here? What what are these two guys not giving us? And yeah, it, it, it made me wonder a little bit. Um, I think offensive linemen in particular are really hard to come by. And whether you need them May 15th or 
November 15th, you're going to need them at some point. And I, I kind of grew up with a couple guys, uh, one Hall of Fame tackle, Mike McCormick, who hired me when he was the GM of the Seahawks. And Chuck Knox was our coach for 10 years, another offensive line coach. And so I really value uh, these guys, not only as chess pieces, but as part of the bigger picture of building your team. And I think that group in general uh, has to work probably better in as one communicating than any other group on your roster. And I think if you can try to minimize change, as long as these players don't have fatal flaws, and I understand if they do, but try to minimize change with that group, I think it makes your team better. And I just felt like in this case, this was a little bit risky. I understand they've moved on. They signed Charles Leno. They've, they've drafted some guys the past couple of years. But to release them now, and again, I, I know the cap is, is tough to deal with, but release offensive linemen now. Well, you saw the one kid got claimed the next day. So somebody grabbed him right away. And, and I'm, a, I'm pretty sure Moses is going to get signed and probably end up being a starter in this league. So I just thought from a depth standpoint, they took a hit. And from a risk assessment standpoint, down the road, they're going to wish they had bigger bodies. And I saw it as, hey, they're uh, Charles Leno uh, away from uh, – uh, I keep wanting to say Jay Leno, sorry, um, the offensive lineman. They're one sprained ankle away from being in a panic to wish they had one of these guys back. So I just felt like if you didn't have to do it, why not wait and let it pan out and see how we do through training camp? Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I get, as, as listeners of this podcast know, there'll be certain topics I just continue sort of <laughs> talk about over and over again. And for a while, I've been talking about this offensive line depth that they have because they really even before they signed Charles Leno I just looked at the group they had and you probably had 14 or 15 players that under normal circumstances you might think have a puncher's chance of making the roster but in this case it's kind of like boy when you look at the players that are there the investment either financial or uh, by draft pick it was hard to figure out it seemed like nine guys were kind of already in and I was really hard to see like what was the like what would you even uh, what was the even in potential chance for some of the some of the guys on the bench, including a guy like a Jaron Christian, who was, you know, as we just said, was released and Wes Martin, they were both week one starters a year ago and, and not saying they were even worthy of being on the roster per se, but like just saying normally guys like that have at least a chance and here they didn't. Then they signed Charles Leno, making right. it even more complicated. And that's when I kind of started really wondering, okay, what's going on here? Now, part of me was wondering, could this involve Brandon Scherf? Because there was the uncertainty with his situation. He's on the tag for the second tag for 18 million uh, for this year, but, if they don't sign a long-term deal by July 15th, it's borderline unlikely. It's it, not borderline. Sorry. He's not coming back for 2022. There, there's no third tag. The money will have already become too crazy. He's not going to take less money to stay, things like that. So I was thinking, well, could you decide sort of to your point of move on from Sheriff now in some way and extract compensation for him beyond just a compensatory third round pick? And ironically, now by doing this, they're going to get nothing from Moses, right? They're not even going to get a compensatory compensatory pick. So it is confusing in that realm. And, Roman, I did think, well, maybe it's, maybe the game here is wait until training camp when either injuries happen or other teams realize they're desperate. Last year, Washington traded a very minor swap, but they traded a six-round pick to the Raiders uh, for David Sharp and a seventh. So even if you just something like that, okay, it's not a big deal, but it's something, right? Right now they've made that a little more complicated because they've now given away some of their depth, but in terms of Moses specifically, like 
he was good last year, but the two previous years, he was kind of pedestrian. So how do you fact, I guess like when you think of this, do you view it just like, well, here's what he did last or do you view it in totality? He's often injured, even though he plays through pain, he had some sort of subpar seasons and he probably wants a contract extension. He didn't have any guaranteed money left on the deal. So how much you kind of weigh the totality of that just for, on him specifically, as opposed to just like we have a lot of depth and, you know, you want to get something for a guy. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ifs there. I mean, you stated a lot of good points, but there's a lot of ifs there as well. And I just sent, again, it sent me back to look at the tape, right? I'm thinking, what do they not see in this guy that I think is pretty good? And I guess from a technical football standpoint, yeah, he's more of a passive right tackle. He does get pushed back a little bit, but gosh, the guy's really athletic. He makes lateral slides and, and some things athletically happen easy that I don't see a lot of tackles uh, able to do in the NFL. So there was po- probably a lot more pluses than minuses. I get the contract. Maybe he wants a new one at some point, but again, that's an if, what if, what if I, I just feel like, and, and you mentioned sheriff tackles are different for me. I don't want to give up any tackles. Okay. I'm drafting tackles. I'm paying tackles. I'm keeping tackles. And that's where I kind of the, the, the pavement hit the road for me is this is a hard one because these guys are both starting quality tackles in the NFL. Now, maybe they don't have the intangibles. Maybe they, there's something behind the scenes that we don't see with these guys. That's what I would have to question in that nobody knows these guys better than the Redskins, right? And they elected to come up with cap space and, and make changes to their team building model based on something. It just didn't pick these two names out of a hat. So there has to be some some reason that they've decided to move on from them. Maybe it is to get younger guys reps. I did hear a little bit out of Ron's mouth that said, maybe we want to get some of these younger guys some time, some reps. Well, we'll see. But then again, that's what if, what if. Maybe the younger guys do develop. And maybe with these guys here, they were going to you know, squash that development a little bit. But I think you're messing with fire. And, and I just think you're going to need these guys eventually offensive linemen get hurt. And I think the depth factor that they had going was, was a big plus for them. And now I don't see that as, I think it's a little bit of a negative and it's really only they're doing that has changed the, changed the landscape. I was going to mention snaps. We went through this in 2019 at quarterback, very different position, of course, but when Dwayne Haskins was a rookie and you had Case Keenum and Colt McCoy, Jay Gruden was in the last year of his, well, he, he was in he was a fight for his life to keep his job, I should say. Not, not right. for his life, but a fight to keep his job. And he needed to play the vets in case Keenan was new and he wanted to get these guys reps. But then you have this rookie in Dwayne Haskins, and one of the big storylines that that offseason was, oh, is Dwayne, or that that whole year, are they giving Dwayne Haskins enough reps? And I was always like, it was always like, well, I mean, to what I mean, what do you want him to do? Like he needs to get Case Keenan to play. Yes, you need to give Haskins reps, but you have these other guys. Here it almost has feel like they're kind of saying, we'd like to see what Cosby can do. And we're going to eliminate the issue of this potential reps thing by moving here with Moses. Now, ironically, if they had never signed Charles Leno, the original plan was they said was going to move or play Cosby at left tackle. In which case you wouldn't really have this issue. You would be having Cosby and, and Cornelius Lucas who finished the year at left tackle last year, presumably in a, in a, in a battle for that spot. And maybe Sadiq Charles is in there as well, but like uh, you didn't have that. Then they signed Leno <laughs> the move Cosme over. Now you've created that extra layer that they choose to eliminate by getting on from, from Moses. So it is, it is sort of confusing um, on that front. I, I, I guess um, 
you know, Cornelius Lucas is a factor. You mentioned in your article, he's been, he's bounced around a bit. Ironically, he and, and, and Leno for a point were the starting tackles for the bears in 2019. I don't know if anybody was clamoring for that reunion, but here we are. <laughs> um, uh, do, do you, do you be, be beyond Moses and beyond the lack of depth, do you see between Cosme who you've looked at as well and Lucas in particular that they could actually cobble together or something akin to what Moses was able to provide? Well, to use your words, cobbling together is a lot different than having a group that's played together, that's comfortable together, that we can move forward with together. So I think the key, and you hit on it for me, is probably the assessment of Cosme, the, the rookie from Texas. Um, how does he turn out? I think they think he's ready to go right now. You could hear that in Ron's voice that he likes the kid. He likes the way he competes. He likes his toughness. We'll see. Time will tell. It's not like Texas has been a factory of putting out offensive linemen in the last 10 years. Trust me, I've been there every year on school visits and it hasn't happened and I haven't seen it. So I looked at the film on Cosme as well. I, I see a little bit of a project. I didn't see it quite the same way. But again, that's why Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors, right? We all get to pick our favorite and they've, they've lined up behind Cosme. So I think he's the key to the whole thing. Whether this decision is correct or not might depend on how he plays and I think we do get judged on when we let players go, how they go elsewhere, where they go, and how they play elsewhere. That'll be determined by how these two guys end up and playing this year on whatever team they're on. I was always a pralines and cream guy. I don't know. Okay, there you go. I don't even know if there's a basket robins around me anymore, but pralines and cream, that, that was gold, the, uh... gold medal ribbon. That's me. I'm all for gold medal ribbon, baby. All right. I, I, now I'm going to be on a quest to go look for Baskin robins around me uh, <laughs> a, 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 after this. Um, I, I do want to touch on Christian for a second because he's been completely overlooked in this whole conversation. He was their third round pick in what, 2018. He was the starting left tackle at the beginning of last year. And, you know, I don't think he was a total disaster, but, but he got banged up in the line that, that week five game against the Rams in particular, the Aaron, Aaron Donald just destroyed them collectively. And from that point on, it felt like Washington was kind of looking to maybe move in another direction. And it did feel like Lucas stabilized some things, but I, I want to go back to the Christian in this sense. Uh, I thought this was oddly the bigger mistake from the point you're talking about than Moses in that, okay, look, I, I suspect with Moses, there were probably some other factors that behind the scenes that like right. we're saying are beyond we can definitively say, or I can report right. or things like that. But you know, the, the contract thing I think was in the air and, and so on. But for Christian, when I talked before about, and you said this as well, like wait till training camp and see what unfolds. I don't get the rush to move on from him. The, right. the, the cap savings was minimal. Um, what if somebody gets hurt? This is a guy that has some experience. And yeah, I mean, he it, he's still in his rookie deal. He has some right. experience. I know people really liked him coming out of college. I think Mel Kuyper, for whatever this is worth, said he was like his sort of like favorite player that year, guy he just thought was going to do really well. And yeah, like you said, tackles are, are a premium position. I thought he would be the classic guy you wait on and just keep him around because if something goes wrong, fine. You want to get rid of Moses for these other reasons. Okay. But keep him around because I don't know who knows what's going to happen. He's not really in the way. It's not, nobody like me is really even going to bring it up. Nobody's going to say, Hey, how come Jaron Christian isn't part of the competition? Like we're not right. going to cause a drama over this. And then he moves on from him. And as you said, he was picked up immediately by the Texans on waivers. who I think had what the, the the second waiver order so he went very high and then i bet I saw, you others claimed him too i'll bet you they did we don't know that but yeah well so somebody put out a report that two i think i want to say the dolphins and the raiders i could be wrong on that mm -hmm. don't quote me people but mm -hmm. two other teams also had put in a claim on him 
which yep. says there was a market. Now, I'm not saying you could have traded him at that moment, but like you said, wait until August. I yep. wouldn't be surprised if you'd gotten the same David Sharp deal you've gotten a year ago, which again, I'm not saying is gonna 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 change your Super Bowl odds, but it is the incremental stuff that I always like to focus on. So that was to me almost more surprising than the Morgan Moses part. I don't disagree at any. I think it 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 could be. Uh, you mentioned all the factors. Young guy has some experience, probably still growing. Maybe he took a step back at some point last year, but that's fine. That's going to happen. I, I attribute a little bit of that. And, and again, the structure that the that Washington football team adheres to is a little different, right? Ron Rivera, the head coach, is really in charge of all football aspects. I find, and I love Ron. We were together with the Chargers. I find that sometimes coaches can get emotional and and really want their own guys and make a space for their own guys and not they aren't quite as willing to write it out as say a GM would or a football, you know, uh, a non-coach would with a particular player. So I think maybe there was some patience. Again, I don't know. We're connecting dots, right? Maybe there was a lack of patience on his development. I, I agree with you. His cap wasn't reflective of having to get rid of it. The numbers were fine. Um, I think he will end up being a, a, at minimum a third tackle somewhere else in time. It just didn't make sense for me to get rid of him right now. I attribute a little bit of that, like I said, maybe to the structure of the way they're set up with the Washington football team and who knows how it works out. But I, I just, I'd have a hard time getting rid of a player like that, especially in May. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And like I said, I, it, to me, that was, I, I, from a, from when the fans were sort of getting into histrionics over Moses, because it also happened a couple of days after Ryan Kerrigan moved on and it's a, the changes. And I was like, look, you need to make changes. This Ron Rivera wasn't brought in for status quo. People have been clamoring for somebody else besides the owner effectively to make decisions. Right. That's now happening. And look, you're going to, you know, to make an omelet, you're going to break some eggs. You're going to get rid of some favorites. But even beyond that, like I said, the Christian thing, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't get that one because it made, why not keep him around? But in any event, they've now done that. Um, and look, by and look again, Washington has it maybe a little more uncertain depth than they would have if they had Moses, but they do have options there. I mentioned Sadiq Charles; they were using him at left tackle uh, at OTA yesterday because Leno was out. I presume because his um, his he just he and his wife just recently had a, had a child, so I, I would imagine it has something to do with that. And Rivera voluntary the he seems to be emphasizing that so okay good they still had most of their group right. there and by and large you look at the roster and there is a lot of good competition it looks like across the board it's not coach speak for me even though Rivera says that over and over again there there is a lot more depth of this group and some of it pretty you know some of the additions they made were not just depth but like legit starters you know Ryan Fitzpatrick Curtis Samuel uh, William Jackson the third they draft Jamin Davis in the first round and of course, this team has so many young players with Chase Young, Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin across the board. It's why, um, you know, it's, it's it, there's reason to be optimistic. They rallied late last year. On the other hand, they still only finished seven and nine. They uh, won a lot of those games against backup quarterbacks. They play a much tougher schedule this year. So it's still kind of hard to figure out, even if they had a very good offseason, how to look at them. So as somebody who does what you do, I'm just curious so whatever degree you thought of Washington before the offseason began, what were you thinking they needed to do? And kind of what, how did you think that they um, addressed their, uh, their issues? Well, I like what they've done. I think they've kind of retooled this team all in the positive. This was the only move to me that really had me shaking my head. I think on defense, they have one of the best front fours, maybe in football. I mean, those guys, 
speak for themselves, whether it's Allen or Payne or Sweat or Young. I mean, these guys are all sought after around the league and, and really did a great job last year. I think some of their young linebackers have uh, played well. Uh, and then they draft one, you know, the Jermaine Davis kid. So they're, they've gotten better on defense in a defense that was already good. So I like everything Ron has done. I like the culture changes that they've made. I mean, let's face it, this this team has been a bit of a grease fire for 10 years and he's stabilized that. So I would not, uh, I'm not questioning the, the, the moves they've made as holes, but just the, the offensive lineman made me a little nervous. I think they're going to be good on defense. You know, they swapped out a really good athlete at corner. We ended up going to Denver for William Jackson, the third, who, who we all think is a pretty good player. So again, they've made some changes. They have good players. I'm anxious to see them, like you said, though, in a little more competitive NFC East. I think everybody has gotten better, maybe with the exception of the Eagles. I think obviously Dak Prescott coming back changes the complexion of that whole division. And the Giants have made some moves as well. So it's going to be fun to watch it play out. Um, but as a whole, I think you have to feel good about their offseason and where this team is headed. Definitely arrow up in my mind. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned, the idea of some optimism based on what they've done and we'll see what, how they navigate the schedule and the, the usual injury leads and things like that. But um, uh, part of the optimism I think is, is Ron Rivera. It's pretty yeah. obvious that the players really responded well to him. Um, you know, again, 86 of the 90 on the roster were there uh, for day one of OTA. One was an, un, was an excused absence. I'm going to sort of guess that Charles Leno might've been as well. So only Ch Chase Young and Montez Sweat weren't there and, we can quibble about that, but either way, <clears throat> most of the guys showed up where you look around the league. That wasn't the case because of, you know, whatever the NFLPA is pushing for, 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 for players to maybe, you know, you know, uh, reinterpret the word voluntary and, and what that right. actually means. And okay. All that stuff aside, but it seems like, again, that part of the optimism here is Rivera himself. That was pretty evident last year. Players over and over again spoke to how positive they were in him, that he inspired them, um, and so on. At, so you mentioned you, you you know him. You've worked with him from, from your time with the Chargers, uh, which is a different perspective than those of us on the outside. So what is your view of Ron Rivera? And when you were with him together, did you kind of have sense that he had such leadership qualities to eventually kind of get to this point? Yeah, 100%. And we used to always visit on the sidelines, Ron and I, about this was before he'd ever been a head coach. And he would always ask, he was always very inquisitive. He, he knew I had a background as a GM. So he was always looking to see it from the GM angle. So yeah, I mean, you could see his communicative skills. You could see the respect his players had for him. The one thing that Ron did really good with us at the Chargers was, depending on the roster, he would always build his schemes and, and what they would do on defense based on our personnel. And that isn't always done around the league. Sometimes people are always trying to fit round pegs into square holes with regard to matching personnel with scheme. And Ron did a great job of that. And I think he's done some of that, obviously, in Carolina and then with the short time he's been in Washington as well. So I think his line of communication is good. It's clear that he's a leader of men. And that's what you really have to have in that position. And it doesn't surprise me that their OTAs and off their offseason stuff is being well attended. I don't think he's ruling with a, an iron fist per se, but they really care about Ron because he knows, they know that Ron cares about them. He's more than a coach. He's just a good person. And I think that's easy to, to understand if you're a player. Plus the fact that, you know, what do they always say? Uh, an ex-player, always an ex-player. Those guys know that they can't bullshit a, an ex-player. So I think that is a, a relationship that carries over uh, when a 
former player becomes a head coach, there's a bond with his players that doesn't exist when, when it's a, a, a guy who comes off the street and hasn't been in their shoes. So I like the setup. I think Ron will do a great job there. Um, and no, it's not, I'm not surprised in, in what he's done for sure. And now he's surrounded himself with, you know, whether it's Marty Herney or some of the other people that have been around him. Um, he's got some good people in the front office, not that they didn't before, but he's made enough changes to where I think they're all on the same page, which has to happen going forward. If I recall your resume a little bit, so apologies if I have this wrong, but you were in Miami when Nick Saban um, mm -hmm. was there. And so obviously Nick Saban comes in and he's going to have a lot of say because he's Nick Saban and that's the allure for him to come over. So Ron Rivera yeah. comes here with, you know, he had not been a GM before, didn't have final say in things, comes to Washington and 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 has that. And then he basically stayed with the same group that he the inherited. Now, you know, Mar Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, they, they yep. brought in some other guys. So from the, we're all used to on some level being coach is in charge of game day and the roster perhaps, but the GM is the lead when it comes to assembling the roster. So when you are in a personnel executive working with a coach who has that, what's the, do you, I don't know, how does that, does, is that, is that unnatural from somebody in your position? Like how, how do you, how, how does a Mayhew and a, and a Herney who have been GMs before and thus had that say, Herney had it with Rivera, how, how does that, they're all grown men and they're mature and yeah. I presume they can get along, but I mean, does it, does it have to change? You have to change your mentality at all about now that, Hey, I don't have final say, or I, you know, things like that. Well, I think it's very helpful that Ron and uh, Marty worked together for many years. So I think that's a, a big help. And you mentioned my time in Miami. Yeah. Nick Saban, I had the general manager's title, but Nick Saban hired me. And so don't make any mistake. We know who was in charge, but having said that I've worked under coaches, I've worked, level with coaches and I've been the coach's boss, the relationship was always the same for me. And I think that's the key thing in this case, they have got to be able to work together. And in this case, it's really three heads are better than one in my mind. So they get a little benefit from having a third guy, Marty in the room or whether it's, you know, however they make decisions. I just think none of us are smarter than all of us. So I like the setup. Um, I, I know Ron well enough to know he will listen and respect the people around him so they can work the key is working together on all of it. And let's face it, Ron has to coach the team. So he doesn't have time to think like a GM 24 seven in team building and some other things. He's got to coach and manage his own team and, and staff. So it's a different set of dynamics. And I think in this case, it'll prove to be successful. I really believe in what, you know, Dan Snyder has done here. He's made some tough changes, both personally and to the structure. And I think it'll work. It'll, it'll be beneficial in the long run. So I like the setup. I don't, think it has to be done a specific way, whether the GM's in charge or the coach is in charge. I think it depends on the people, to be honest with you, Ben. And I think the people involved, their personalities, their ability to work together, those are the key factors for me and their beauty, really the ability to communicate. Um, I So I always say that like, you know, people look at the world, look at football in very, from various perspectives. Obviously I was never a player or a GM or a coach, but in terms of just like how I view the world, I've always looked at it more from the GM perspective than the other ones. Um, I like, I'm intrigued by roster building and asset allocation and decisions that go into why teams do certain things that they do. And, and I always try to look at it as I try not to judge it always on result. I try to judge it on the thought because the results injuries right. can happen. There could be a pandemic it's like things right. you once you do it, it's out of control. But what was the logic to the doing it of the first place? Right. And I and I bring this up because we've got these two big topics in the NFL right now. One is Aaron Rodgers, and one is Julio Jones. 
and neither one is directly connected to Washington. But in both cases, you know, it's not inconceivable that Washington could be in play, even though they signed to start with Rodgers, they, they obviously get Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's only a one-year deal. And it's, uh, while Ryan Fitzpatrick looks to be a d- pretty good upgrade over what they had a year ago, Aaron Rodgers is an all-time legend who just won the MVP. And if you get him, you're automatically in the Super Bowl race, especially with the team I think that Washington has. So I wanted to ask you this, and this is where feel free to mock my GM thinking here, but this is why I want to ask somebody. <laughs> I'll <never> do that. <laughs> no, that's what I want to ask. Like, I, I wasn't like that gung-ho about Washington going all in for Deshaun Watson. I'm talking about pre the legal stuff. In part because you would have had to give up, assuming that they would have made a deal before the draft, the way people were talking, you had to give up a ton of picks this year and going forward. And Washington still had too many holes. And I'm like, okay, I I get to Sean Watson's very good and he's a quarterback for a long time, but he, look, he didn't, you know, where were they just this year with Houston wasn't a good team. I I, I think I need, I need Washington needs more stuff. And plus Miami of the Jets had way more to offer than Washington did. So they were never going to get him. But I look at Rodgers and think, Okay, if the asking price just for argument sake is like two twos, oh, sorry, two ones, two twos, Ryan Fitzpatrick and pick a defensive lineman not named Chase Young. Let's just say it's Deron Payne or Matt Ioannidis. Okay, mm-hmm. even if they just gave up all that, I would still make the trade, even though Rodgers is 37. Uh, mm-hmm. Because one, again, you're automatically in contention. Two, this isn't the NBA. When you trade first and second round picks, that's not nothing but you can find starters in rounds three through seven, just like, I mean, the last two years, Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson didn't just become starters. They became, you know, borderline stars here. They stay, they, they found a gem last year in cam curl, a seventh round pick who is arguably their, you know, their, their best strong safety um, right now. You can NFL teams are littered with that. Not to mention undrafted free agent pools. Most years are pretty good. So they would be okay from a, a depth percent depth point. Ultimately. Plus most of this roster, the best players are the young guys. And therefore, it's not like they're mortgaging their future per se. The future is still really good because they have all these young guys. And on top of that, by moving on from the first and second round picks, you're getting rid of those bigger salaries. Maybe that helps you on some level because now you're getting Rodgers, you have to re-sign Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Terry McLaurin. Now you have more money to do it broadly because of that. So to me, I look at the Rodgers because there are some people who say, oh, don't do that. You're messing with the future. I say, are you kidding me? No, you go get Aaron Rodgers if hypothetically you could. So to me, that's how I would view that specific thing if I'm Washington, but also just broadly, philosophically, how I would view that, why I think it would make sense for them to make that kind of move. So I threw out a bunch of stuff as a GM who's been in this seat. How'd I do? I think you'd make a good GM. What are you talking about? I'm not going to, I actually agree with everything you're saying. I don't think there's any chance the Packers trade him to the Washington team, right. but I do think there's merit to it. And I agree with all those fronts. I, hey, I, I, I live out West, right? And out West, they don't believe in first round picks, whether you're in Seattle or San Francisco or LA, these guys don't ever have first round picks. So they've devalued those to death. Our comrade, uh, Mike Sando just wrote a big uh, column on just that, the devaluing of first round picks. So I don't think they are worth what they used to be, especially when you're always picking at the bottom of the first round. And in Washington's case, they hope to get to picking toward the bottom of the first round here soon. Um, so yeah, I, I, you didn't give me anything in your trade uh, compensation there that would give me merit to say, nope, not interested in that. I'm for all that. And I think Aaron Rodgers makes them a better team. You're right. I still think the Washington football team is a quarterback away. So if they can find a way to get that, 
you know, and that's no disrespect to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I don't think Taylor Heineke's taking him anywhere. And I don't think Kyle Allen's taking him anywhere with all due respect. So if they can find a way to, to land a guy like Aaron Rodgers, are you kidding me? I'd do it in a heartbeat. And I think it makes him a, a playoff team right now. It changes the expectation level. It changes everything about your team. And I think Ron would want that. Ron wants the expectations ratcheted up. Any competitor does. And that's what this guy does. And I think that's what these teams out West see. From Aaron Rodgers' point of view, I think there's a geographical element to his wants and needs and everything else. And I think that pushes him further West. Obviously he has a wife to be that's an LA actress, right? And, and I don't know that she has anything against Washington DC, but I think she wants to be closer to home. So I think that's a factor in here. We don't hear a lot uh, talked about, but I think that's an issue as well. So I think he's more apt to uh, welcome a trade West than one East, but I like your thinking. And if I'm uh, the Washington football team, I'm in the middle of the discussions. That's for sure. I learned years ago, Paul Allen in my time with the Seahawks always used to say, get us in the middle of every deal, Randy. We can always say no at the end, but get us in the middle of every deal. And I absolutely loved it. And to this day, I think it's some of the best advice I ever got. God bless Paul Allen's soul, but it put me as an aggressor gathering the information. And like I said, you can always say no at the end of it, but I was in the middle of every deal for every, from all the days uh, working for Paul Allen throughout the end of my NFL time. So, and I always will be. Um, and look, there's a Kennedy center here. Shailene Woodley can like get her to be the lead. And, uh, you know, I don't know, <laughs> there's gotta be some, you know, every, hey. everything's coming back, you know, the entertainment world's coming back, you know, I don't know, get her on stage here. We, they, they can make that work. Use every card you have. Trust me. I've been a part of a lot of these recruiting missions and whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. So well, do, do you recall the craziest uh, recruiting tool you had to use uh, to, uh, to, to get well, somebody to show up? I remember using Paul Allen's plane one night on the opening night of free agency or morning, however you uh, term it. And Dennis Erickson and I got in at about 10 o'clock in Seattle. Free agency started at midnight. We flew to Denver. We picked up uh, shortly after midnight, um, we picked up Chad Brown, the linebacker from the Steelers, who was a perennial All-Pro, his wife, their newborn baby, and scooped him up and brought him back to Seattle, and he signed with us the next morning. So that was kind of a, a mid midnight heist, so to speak, and it was something I'll never forget. But yeah, these things happen all the time. Uh, you got to use all the angles you can, and if the, if the Washington team has some angles in play, they ought to use them, that's for sure. Um, all right, so I, I should maybe cut a uh, stop while I'm ahead, but we're going to go forward here. We're going to look at the, <laughs> at the Julio Jones situation. Gotcha. Now, you can make the argument that Julio Jones, now Aaron Rodgers is, you know, he's in the discussion for greatest quarterback of all time. Julio Jones, you know, is more of in the discussion of like best receiver currently, but he's certainly, he's, you know, tremendous talent. Now he's got some, he's battled some injuries and things along those lines, and he's on the wrong side of 30, but, you know, physically imposing. You know, he, he can tilt the game for sure when he's out on the field. You have to pay you know, extra, extra attention to him. And while Washington has Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and then a bunch of interesting lottery tickets behind them, they don't have anybody like that. So you add Julio Jones, that would be a, a, an upgrade. But yeah. here's why I say I'm out. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. obviously, I don't know the compensation exactly. Atlanta reportedly would want a first-round pick. Seems like a, a reasonable thing. But at this point, they may have to settle for something less than that. Maybe it's a second and a fourth. I, I don't know. But let's just say it's in that range for argument's sake. The reason why I would say I'm passing on Washington, so I don't have the exact numbers I should have looked, but like Julio Jones, he's got like a three-year huge extension kicking in. Now, Washington does have the cap space available now with this following the Morgan Moses deal. They've got over 
20 million available for this year. So that's not necessarily the issue. But I personally am not that excited about overweighting in receiver in my if I in my pie chart of asset allocations. To me, receiver ranks lower on the list. It's a very dependent position. You're lining up further away from the line of scrimmage. I don't want to spend my money typically people close to the ball. This is the way I would look at it. And they already have McLaurin and Samuel. It's not like they're like bereft of options. They just signed Samuel. And let's see how that plays out. You also have to give Terry McLaurin an extension by next year, conceivably. I mean, you could let the contract play out, but now you're taking a risk there. So I'm already going to spend more money on McLaurin. I don't, I just not somebody who wants to spend a ton on receiver. Here's my other issue. We mentioned the quarterback. So right now it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. And let's just say that's a reasonable option for this year. Well, he only has the one-year contract. We don't know if he's the quarterback next year. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But either way, if I bring in Julio Jones, I got to find a quarterback now. Under the current set, setup, they obviously still need to get a quarterback. But, you know, they don't... They, they, they can they can figure it out they don't have they're not on the time stick time crunch other than just life moves on <laughs> and Rivera's on would move into the year three but in this case if I have Julio Jones I have to get a quarterback and guess what I can't get a rookie now am I really going to draft a first round pick make that guy go play with Julio Jones unless that quarterback's Justin Herbert the I, I, I'm going to now effectively have wasted to some degree a year of Julio Jones. Maybe the rookie quarterback makes the most sense broadly, but now I have Julio Jones here. I'm spending a lot of money at receiver. I need somebody who can make these things go. So I that that to me is a problem. And by the way, if I now say I have to go get a veteran like a Stafford, the way it was this year in Washington, try to get him. Now I'm trading more picks yeah. to get this guy. So I, now I'm like, I already talked before about mortgaging the future. I'm not that worried about it, but now I have to almost, if I'm going to go get somebody who's going to help me out. So to me, it, it's just putting, I get Julio Jones is really good, but between his injuries and then all these other aspects, I'm out. I think I'm good with McLaurin and Samuel. I'd like to ride that out and I'll let somebody else roll the dice on Julio Jones. Um, I think you're two for two. I'm with you hundred percent. I, I, like Julio Jones a lot. I think there are certain places he fits seamlessly. I think his game fits in any offense. I've looked at tape from last year. I studied the ins and outs of what he brings to the table. I like it. I'm with you. I don't really like it for Washington for all those reasons you just mentioned. I think they have to do, they have to find a quarterback somehow, some way, and they just don't know yet. The other thing for me is, and I think the compensation matters. I don't think Atlanta is going to be able to get a first round pick for Julio Jones. I just don't see that. Um, I think evaluators in the NFL, and I'm including myself having done it for so many years, I think I'm more confident that I can find receivers. I think I can find a guy in the second or third round that's going to be a productive player that I don't have to pay 15 to 18 to 20 million dollars a year to. I agree with you. I don't think you can really find the difference-making guy that is worth carving out 15 million on your cap. So I'm a, that, that struggles for me. If you're a different setup, a different team, you know, in a different time window of when we're going to win, I think maybe he's of more value to you then, but I just don't see it in this case. I think in Atlanta's, in Atlanta's uh, corner, the best thing they have going for him is Julio Jones has passed. I don't know that that's going to carry them to getting a big package of loot for him in return. I think in the, in the end, this is just my opinion, that they're going to get less than a first round pick. 
they'd be ecstatic with a second round pick. But I even think realistically, they may end up with a third round pick for him because they need his money worse than anything. And they don't have a lot of leverage. As the closer we get to June 1st, they need that cap room to do what they need to do to, to really function as, a, as an NFL unit underneath the salary cap. So I think that bed's been made. They're going to have to cut the best deal they can when their time runs out of the hourglass. And I think that's fast approaching. If it if it does drop all the way to a third round pick, I mean, does that would that change your view for from from Washington's perspective or everything else I just sort of laid out still? No, it doesn't really for me. I just don't think it's a good fit. Again, I think I would rather have that third round pick looking to draft a young receiver somewhere to go with Terry or Curtis Samuel to to, you know, position with a young quarterback that you're going to get in the future. I would rather have my window extended beyond that. I don't think having Julio Jones makes them a Super Bowl team this year or next year. I really don't. And if that was was our goal, great, but we probably would have had to upgrade a quarterback more so than Ryan Fitzpatrick if that was the case. Right. I mean, if they had never got signed Curtis Samuel, they were just looking at Terry McLaurin and everything else, maybe that's yeah. a different combination, but they did make that move. And the thing they're missing is the quarterback. And like right. w- one thing, because I, I never believed they were, once they signed Fitzpatrick, I just assumed they were never going to draft a quarterback no matter what the rumors were out there. And I talked about that a lot here in part because they had three guys on the team who had all started games last year, not saying Allen and Heineke are tremendous, but like they can play. And uh, what, what you don't need to force the issue. I mean, if, if somebody fell to 19, so be it, but they also right. passed on guys on day two. Um, but part of the reason I thought you could wait is I keep making this joke. One, there will be a draft next year. <laughs> and yep. two, look where the, the the veteran market these days is incredibly volatile and you have yep. the Aaron Rodgers and the Russell Wilson thing at a minimum out there. I mentioned before Ron Rivera's popularity. I think that's league wide. It wouldn't stun me at all. I mean, Rodgers is a Cal guy for what it's worth <laughs> as, as is Rivera. Like yep. I feel like there could be a quarterback out there. Maybe one we don't even know, right? We didn't know Stafford or Wentz were going to get traded a year ago. Um, who knows? I, I'll, I'll take my chances that, they, they, they can build on what they did a year ago, become a more attractive spot, but I, and thus somebody be interested, but I therefore need all the assets I have to potentially make a trade. Thus, I don't want to trade a two and a four or a three to get a, a player in Julio Jones who as good as he is, isn't taking me to the next level. I, I wouldn't think. I agree with you. I think the key you mentioned, and I totally agree with is you can't force it. You just can't create a, a, a quarterback out of thin air and overpay to get him. I think that would be a mistake. So I do think patience is involved. I agree with you. The quarterback market is volatile. It'll happen again this year. Teams are willing to take swings and misses on guys. Who knows? Maybe it's a Jimmy G who gets flushed out of San Francisco at some point. You know, I don't know what happens with Drew Locke in Denver, but I don't think he's got a long range plan there. So there'll be some other options for them. They just got to find the one that fits them the best. And if it's not this year, so be it. I mean, I've been 35 years in the business and it, it is hard to handpick a quarterback. I've never drafted one in the first round, but more teams win making the best of what comes available than they actually do pursuing a top first round quarterback. So time will tell. I, I, I think you're right on. Fitzpatrick is going to be their guy for this year, unless something crazy happens around the league. But I'll say this, they're going to have one ear to the, to the pavement all the time to upgrade at quarterback. That's been shown, like you said, through the, their interest in guys during draft time, but they're going to continue to have that ear out there to find a guy that might fit for them as an upgrade. I think what, what you mentioned about Heineke and Allen is they, the Redskins or the Washington football team thinks that those two guys are better than a second or third round pick would have gotten them this year. 
So that decision was made. And that's why you didn't see them picking a quarterback in those later rounds. So time will tell. I think they're on the right track. Uh, they're looking for a quarterback, though, trust me, every day. And they're going to beat the bushes until they find that. Absolutely. Uh, Randy, really appreciate the, the, the time. Uh, Randy makes for a good Twitter follow as well. At Randy Mueller, the underscore goes after the Mueller. So go, go follow him there. Anything um, uh, beyond the podcast with you and Mike Sander that I mentioned, anything else to, uh, to mention in, in your world that people should be aware of? No, I think a lot of people have, have kind of grown to, to like my blog a little bit at MuellerFootball.com. I've, I write two or three blog posts sometimes a week, and they end up being columns that people reference and pick up. So if anybody wants to have a little fun reading uh, from the GM's chair, MuellerFootball.com is a way to get that. And as you mentioned, I've done some things for Fox Digital recently, and, and I enjoy uh, writing. So uh, any of that stuff uh, people find interesting, I love to hear back from them. And that includes the article that you wrote about Morgan Moses and Washington's decision, which led to this. So I'm glad I, I came across that. And Randy, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, good luck up there uh, in, in the Northwest and dealing with Mike Sando. Uh, <laughs> best of luck with that. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. All right. Uh, again, thoroughly enjoyed that conversation to be able to talk to a general manager or somebody who had that job. You know, he, he was with Miami and, the, and, and, and an executive with the saints. He's, he's an award-winning guy. And uh, you know, again, not, you know, he's, he's been in that seat and to be able to share some of my philosophies with, with somebody like that. And obviously for him to be nice about what he said is, uh, you know, really a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, so, you know, hopefully we'll have Randy back on the podcast down the line as we head towards the 2021 season. Um, but I, I do want to get to the Wizards just for here for a couple minutes here towards the end of the podcast. Uh, obviously, the Wizards fell to the Nets uh, on uh, Wednesday night by 25 points. Really wasn't that close. Um, I got into this more in depth with Fred Katz on his uh, Wizards After Dark podcast. You can check it out. I won't talk nearly as long as he and I did. But I do want to say a couple things, and some of this is a repeat of that. And I don't want to get into game two, what happened. Look, the, the, the Sixers, or did I say the Nets? I know if I did, I didn't mean that. Obviously, the Sixers. I don't know what I said. Um, you know what I meant. The Philadelphia 76ers. They're down 2-0. Um, look, the Sixers are just a deeper team. Uh, you know, Joel Embiid, uh, you know, arguably the league MVP this year, or at least he's in the conversation. And then you look beyond that, you know, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, uh, Danny Green, um, you know, Seth Curry, yeah, and so on, right? They, they just have a deeper team and, and, and they just have more, you know, top end players. And for the Wizards perspective, you know, other than Bradley Beal, they just have not been getting almost nobody else has really been performing at least over two games at a level of of a level of the expectation for these, for these players, right? And that goes up and down the board. And I think a lot of it is that Russell Westbrook has not been quite right. Look, obviously the popcorn incident happened last night where a fan dumped it on him and that's inexcusable. And the bigger question with Westbrook as we're talking now is the status of his ankle, which he injured in the game last night as it stands right now at this moment, I don't know if we, I don't think we have an update on, um, on that, but all, all that aside, and, and this team does sort of ebb and flow for, um, um, as, as a Russell Westbrook goes, uh, that has been pretty obvious. The symbiotic relationship between Russell Westbrook and the non Beal players is pretty evident. I mean, look what happened. Beal has played very well the last two games and the team has not definitively followed him. But Westbrook's been more up and down, not just these last couple of games, but over the last couple of weeks. And the team has almost almost to a to a to a minute, to a game, has sort of followed Westbrook. 
But that's not really what I want to get into here. I want to get into Davis Bertans because obviously we talk a lot about Westbrook and Beal and warrant, they, they, they warrant that attention. They're all NBA players. They are stars in this league. And, you know, f- with, you know, with that power comes a great responsibility. Uh, as I've heard a, uh, an uncle of a, of a super, of, of a comic book, uh, <laughs> uh, superhero say before. Um, but let's not let Bertans off the hook. He got paid $80 million over five years. That's the contract he signed. If he were to, you know, if everything plays out, that's what he's going to get. And, Boy, is that not looking like a good move right now. And, you know, this is not complete hindsight. I said at the time last year at the trade deadline that I would look to trade him. My reasoning was, I mean, this is without knowing the exact offers. So that's obviously important. You just don't want to give him away for a ham sandwich. But if there was something that you could get back in a reasonable way. The reason I, I said that was that if you're going to pay this guy without, you know, it was a six, you know, something along the lines of $16 million a year, whether it was four or five years was the unclear part. He ultimately signed for five years, even though part of that fifth year is not guaranteed, fully guaranteed. Um, Davis Bertans is not a top three player on an NBA team. He is not. I mean, period, end of story. He obviously was a tremendous three-point shooter last year. And, you know, that is a tremendous asset to have in this day and age. Um, you need those You need those types of players. There's no arguing, arguing on that front at all. And he was incredibly effective and he can still be now. He, he, he knocked down threes in, in game one. And even in this year where he was clearly off early on, uh, you know, for whatever the reason, you know, he still shot 39% from three, not as good as the 42% last year, but you know, still pretty high clip. And with, 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 with Beal and Westbrook firing on all cylinders, you have to focus on them. It leaves Bertans a little more open to take his shots. But the problem is, when he's not making any shots, he's unplayable. And that is impossible. If you're really trying to win, that cannot happen. You Like, I, I mentioned this on Fred's podcast after game one. In a game in which the Wizards right now just don't have any, any answer at, at small forward. Jason Tatum burned them in the playoff round. Tobias Harris, who's more, maybe more of a four, but regardless, he's sort of that wing kind of forward. Um, he crushed them in game one. The Wizards have no no answer for them. You have Rui Hachimura who can defend an athletic wing. And other than that, they're screwed. So, okay, that's an offseason thing they have to worry about. And maybe when Denny Avdia comes back for year two, he can maybe fill in some of that. But you've got to then figure out what, what do you have at your, at your disposal. And you look at the pieces that Washington has. Howell Neto, an absolutely rock-solid season. Or, you know, very consistent very good signing, not an NBA starter. They were starting him for a lot down the stretch. It was working out, but not really in the playoffs. That's not he doesn't he doesn't do anything that's going to warrant attention from the from the Sixers. That's fine. Um, you know, Ish Smith, totally solid backup point guard. He he's worthy of playing, but like that's not you know he's not that level of a difference maker. You know, Garrison Matthews, uh, Chandler Hutchinson. You know, these guys are role players who you know should or shouldn't receive any minutes depending on how you want to. I view the world, Isak Bonga, so on and so on. Bertans is the guy, right? You just gave him $80 million. Could you imagine any other team not playing a guy that just gave $80 million to over 30 minutes a game in general, let alone when there isn't like a better option? It's not like they have, it's not like the, you know, the people remember a few years ago, like the, the late Rasul Butler kind of was a, a, a random offseason addition who turned into a pretty high high rotation player for Washington because he banged down a bunch of threes. That guy's not here. That That's not happening, right? 
that that that's not that that's not a thing. I know we can point to Matthews, but between the fact that he's young and you know he's not going to help you too much in some other ways beyond shooting, I'm not knocking Matthews. I'm just saying you know he's a two way player right now. Um, he's not a you know Butler had been around, or you know you can point to a Trevor Ariza or a Garrett Temple or some others. They don't have somebody else that you could even just say forget money. Just as a as a as a as a way to help this team in some capacity, you could put out there. The answer is putting out Davis Bertans, and the fact that they can't do that right now—that Scott Brooks doesn't feel confident to do that. Now, I didn't even mention the fact that he fouled out last night and didn't score a point. <laughs> right? Fouled out in 24 minutes, 0 for 4 from the field, zero points. But it's not even that. I don't even mind that he missed shots. Right? I mean that that people have bad shooting games. But he gets played off the floor. Defensively, the Sixers attack him, whether in pick and rolls or other ways, they go at him. And if he basically, you know, can't if they don't if the Wizards don't set him up offensively, what's he doing for you? I asked Fred this on his podcast. What would you what would you attribute the biggest issue with why Bertans has has had some of these bad games? Is it A, the coaching staff doesn't know how to properly use him? B his teammates don't know how to properly help him or see Bertans himself. I would argue it's Bertans. I mean, obviously, there's always ways everybody can improve, whether it's Scott Brooks or Beal or Westbrook or or whoever's setting picks for him or whatever the thing may be. But, like, Bertans has got to get better. He was behind the eight ball this year from the start because he came into camp out of shape for whatever the reason. Uh, you know, I understand, you know, I'm not 100% sure whether there was a COVID factor involved there or not, but putting that aside, you know, he's over in Latvia and... Uh, you know, the, the pandemic was weird and maybe he couldn't find ways to stay in shape. But that with, you know, again, with great power comes great responsibility. And the Wizards are counting on him to be a, a big, a big guy. You know, one of the reasons why I said he's this, I would not have, I would not view him as a third guy and the Wizards shouldn't is because there's nothing in the Wizards history that says they will go above and beyond to make up the differences elsewhere. They're not going to sniff the luxury tax. You know, we we, we, we kind of get that. Yes, they, they one time did before and then bailed out of that pretty quickly to the point of they traded away Otto Porter for literally nothing um, just to get out from under it. And regardless of what you think of that, the, the, Otto Porter was an asset they gave away for nothing to save some money. Uh, they're not going to be that team. And I'm not even going to knock that. I've said here before, though, that the actions under Ted Leonsis are not of a team trying to win the title. They're of a team um, trying to make the playoffs. And look, I think if Westbrook and Beal continue to play as they have the last, you know, Beal all this year and Westbrook the last, you know, 30 games or so, they do that next year. The Wizards have top, I don't know, it's hard to say exactly, but let's just say top five upside, seed upside, something like that. Uh, if Hachimura takes a leap, if Denny Avdia comes back and takes a leap, Thomas Bryant comes back and can play effectively with Daniel Gafford, they will have a first-round pick outside of the lottery, but a first-round pick, maybe this player can comes in. They turn the Robin Lopez contract into a 3-and-D wing. Again, I'm not saying that they can't be interesting. I'm not even saying they can't give a top seed a, a, a tough showing. I'm just saying, realistically, their they're, they're ceiling is capped for a variety of reasons, and one of them is that they paid Davis Bertans $80 million, and I don't see how he's ever going to justify that unless – other pieces around him really improve. If if Hachimura improves to the point that he's now the third guy, and you really, if you're the defense, have to sort of focus on him, and now Bertans is sort of just that extra piece, okay, well, then that becomes a little more interesting. But in and of itself, boy, it is incredibly frustrating to watch. If, you're really, if you really want to see how teams are built and to win, the Bertans is an example of where that frustration 
you know, where I have some frustration. And again, to be clear, once they kept Bertans, they kind of had no choice but to sign him because he was, you know, with bird rights, they could, they, they, they could, they could do that. If they let him go, they didn't have the $80 million to go sign somebody else. It was kind of give it the Bertans or you kind of just can't do anything. So um, I understand from that perspective, but regardless, that's why I still would have made the, to trade it, look to trade him before because Bertans is on the books for a while. You know, the idea that Washington could have sort of started over, you know, like the trading Beal would have allowed them the chance to, to, re, to reboot. I, I don't think so at all. Once John Wall got hurt, they were kind of locked into this group because even if you had traded Beal, never made the Westbrook trade, John Wall was still going to be here. He would be the influence on these younger players. And, you know, maybe look, obviously with Houston, they were so bad this year. They, they had ended up with one of the worst records. And I guess to some point you could make that claim that that would have happened here, except they then also gave Bertans $80 million. You can't exactly start over. You know, you can't like, <laughs> like, you know, you can't exactly tank. I know you have to spend money regardless on, uh, you have to, there's a, there's a floor as well, but like, that's not really like, what do you, what, what is the point of that? That's not that th- they weren't looking to tank. This is the owner who says we will never, ever tank. So they weren't looking to do that at all. They were looking to try to be successful in some capacity. And, you can make the case that they have done that if you if you accept just making the playoffs is good enough. For some people, it will be. And I will say, I at least I'm glad that they're entertaining. <laughs> because as somebody who watches them all the time and will be at game three and four in person, it is more fun when they're interesting. You know, it's bad enough when they're not in contention, but it's worse when they're not interesting. And they've been interesting the last 20, 30 games, whatever. So that's good. Um, anyway, all I'm saying is that I'm not trying to look. As far as the rest of the series goes, I think they pull off Game Three again without knowing Westbrook's status. I think that I think that happens. Uh, th- these guys have played well; they've played better; they play hard by and large. Um, and I think there's I think there's reason to imagine that that takes place. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you can't even play a guy who you're paying eighty million dollars to to play more than thirty minutes a game, and for him to be he can't, he's got, he can't, he can only be effective in one way. Boy, that one way better be scoring 40 a night or blocking everything, you know, defending the lane to such a degree that nobody wants to come inside or something like that. Or, uh, but if you, if you're, if, it, if your one trick is relatively speaking, easily taken away by the other team and Philly is a good defensive team, but taken away bad sign. And that's my, that was my concern with Bertans early on. And that's my concern now, two games into this playoff series, for sure. Um, all right. Um, I didn't want to necessarily end it on a downer note, but that's where we're at. Like I said, I, I hope for the best for everybody involved. I hope, um, you know, look, I hope the Wizards make this an entertaining series. Like I said, my plan is to be at game three and four. Um, probably will even write at least off of one of those games. So um, look for that on The Athletic. Of course, you can subscribe there. The dollar deal is now over, but you can still subscribe to The Athletic. Appreciate everybody who has done that both recently and long-term. Um, you know, I talk about the comments on iTunes, but the people who leave messages in the, in the, uh, comment section on the athletic, I, I really do appreciate everybody for sure. It feels like, uh, you know, I'm not saying this in a, in an overly silly way, but I do kind of feel like we're all part of a, a group over there. Um, the athletic may not be for everybody, but those who've decided they want, you know, they want a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit different, not just sort of the same generic, Hey, here's what happened today. And, you know, sort of views without an opinion, but you know, I don't always give opinions on topics, but you know, I, I try to uh, 
you know, when I have, when I see something, I try to share my, at least my observations and my analysis and, um, you know, appreciate the fact that that's, a, that you guys are, are, are into what we're doing. And, uh, for that again, many thanks. So let's end it there. Many thanks to Randy Mueller for his time. Thanks to everybody here for listening to the podcast. And of course, thanks to our friends at all pro reels for sponsoring this episode of the standard room only podcast. And that's it for now until next time. 